0: Let me take an opportunity to encourage you, to, if you are not, to be a part of our Connect Groups that meet right before this at 9.15. Our uh, theme, our, our motto for Connect Groups is connecting to God and each other. That's the whole purpose. It's, uh, if, you're not, if you've not been in a while, it's a teaching style, but there's a little more room for conversation and questions than you have in here. And then discipleship groups, d-groups that meet uh, tonight and tomorrow night in various homes. You can be a part of that. I saw uh, a, a video this week of when they build subdivisions in Colorado somewhere. I don't remember what part of Colorado it was. It was just some part of Colorado. They can't just go in. I mean, we all know that you have to lay a good foundation and uh, they'll, they'll go in and take off a, a few inches to a couple of feet of dirt, and they'll lay dirt and whatever they put underneath for the foundation, the slab. That's what they do here. At this particular place, wherever it was in Colorado, they can't just do that. They Oh, he had a word that he used. Um, I don't know, it's like uber excavator or something. That's not what he called it, but uh, anyway, in this area, they have to dig down... 20 feet to build a subdivision take out all that dirt then lay some different dirt wet it lay it wet it lay it pack it pound it all over and over and over to get a good foundation that's what connect groups and d groups are we can have a slab if you come to church on sunday morning but that slab may not hold if that's all you're doing you lay another foundation of discipleship in, through connect groups and another foundation of discipleship through D groups, and another foundation of your daily Bible readings, which we provide for you that prepare you for this Sunday. You're laying foundation after foundation after foundation, and you are building what holds you up daily, daily. And so that's what you, we encourage you to be a part of those. And if you can't do one or can't do all of them, do one. Do some of them. Do as many as you can and lay those foundations as deep down as you can. Do the excavation that's necessary to lay that. If, if you do, then you have read uh, these chapters in Daniel. Chapter, uh, I believe we read chapter 3 and chapter, did we read chapter 4? 2 and 3, Exodus, John, and uh, Romans. You will have read a lot this week that will lay foundation for your Connect group this morning, the sermon now, and then D, D groups tonight and tomorrow night. Just as one more reminder that uh, when, uh, the, the, when Etta writes the questions for our D groups, She has not looked at the the connect group lesson, the Sunday school lesson, hadn't looked at the curriculum yet. When I prepare my sermon, I have not looked at the uh, Sunday school curriculum. There may be, and there have been Sundays, where all three of those just kind of line up, talks about the same stuff, and and that's where the Lord's leading us. Then there are other times where we kind of go different directions uh, from the same passages. Clearly, I believe that's God doing what is necessary in our church through those. So, my point there is, don't think, well, I'm just going to hear the same thing in the sermon that I heard in Connect Group that we're going to talk about in D Group. That is not the case. It might be the case, and if it is, you probably need to hear it three times, just like me. And if it isn't the case, then God has something he is teaching us all through that. So, there's the, the commercial for being more involved in all of the discipleship opportunities that we have. Now, turn to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. There's the line I wanted to have up there next last week, and I forgot. Thanks, Mom, for reminding me on Thursday to make sure I put that in there. She sent me a text. Don't forget your line graphic. It, it helped. It worked. Um, Daniel, is God there? Uh, This this message, the title of this message is, Who is the God? And I take that straight from the question that Nebuchadnezzar, uh, from here on out referred to as Neb, asked the three boys, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who is the God? Verse 15 of chapter 3. We could spend a lot of time on that question, and actually we are, but we're going to look at all the way back into chapter 2, which we read this week, and pull some from there, and then move through chapter 3, asking the question, Who is the God? And the reason we need to ask this question this morning and I think we need to ask it a bunch of times this morning. Is because we as believers, we as followers of Jesus, ask it all the time. We ask, who is the God? Whether we will admit that or not. We ask, uh, we ask it about sin. We ask it about tragedy. Doubt. Decisions we have to make. Any host of other topics. We ask the question, who is the God? Because we, we wonder if God will stay true to his promises. We know he will, and yet we wonder if he will. We are confident in our faith, and yet we lack faith. Lord, I believe. <laughs> Help my unbelief. We ask the question, will he? We ask the question, Who is the God? And as I told you last week, the major theme of Daniel is the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. So, even before we start this morning, we already know the answer to the question is, who is the God, is Yahweh, God, our God. And we can say that And we should say that. We should never stop repeating that to ourselves. But we also need to understand and be honest with ourselves that sometimes we, though we know the answer, still ask the question Who is the God? So we're going to flip back. I'm not going to read the whole thing, we're going to read it in chunks as we move through it. We're going to flip back to chapter 2. Might be a page turn for you, might not. And we're going to look at verses 37 through 38. The first question, the first who is the God we're going to ask is, who is the God over all kings? That's the way it sets up in in Daniel. Who is the God over all kings? Verses 37 through 38, God answered the question before it was even asked. He tells him, God tells Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel. Daniel says in 36, this was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. Your majesty, you are king of kings. That is high praise because we know the only king of kings is Jesus. King of kings and lord, and lord of lords. We know that. And Daniel tells him from God, you, Neb, are the, the king, the earthly king of earthly kings. The, the big dog, the big kahuna. The God of heavens has given you sovereignty, power, strength and glory wherever people live or wild animals or birds of the sky he has handed them over to you and made you ruler over them all you are the head of gold let me remind you if you did your reading and uh, tell you if you didn't that he's talking about a statue that was in this dream that had uh, a head of gold its chest and arms were silver its stomach and thighs were bronze its legs were iron and its feet were partly iron and partly fired clay, and then it broke apart at the bottom. Beautiful, costly, uh, lasting at the top, but as it moved down, it got more and more brittle, more and more easily destroyed. That's the statue he's describing, and he's telling Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of this statue. This dream, however, was not to praise Neb. It wasn't to set him up and say, look how good you are. In fact, it was a warning to the king, a warning to Nebuchadnezzar. You are all of these things, Nebuchadnezzar, but look at what follows you. Look at what comes after you. Look at what can happen to this kingdom. He was told this verse 39 daniel goes on and says there's gonna be another kingdom it's inferior to yours on and on and on and on and then toward the end he has this great response the king said to daniel in verse 47 your god is indeed god of gods lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries since you were able to reveal this mystery Then the king promoted Daniel, and Daniel got uh, the boys good jobs ruling over the province of, of Babylon, and things went well. Nebuchadnezzar makes this declaration based on who God is, based on who he saw. Yours is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. He's telling, your God is impressive. I like your God. But it was not a conversion. It was acknowledgement, but it wasn't faith. It was head knowledge, but it wasn't heart knowledge. And so we come to chapter three, and in chapter three, Nebuchadnezzar builds a statue. But Nebuchadnezzar builds a statue not with a head of gold and a, a chest of silver and on and on. He builds one of all gold, he gets it right. I, I'm not building one of those statues that's going to crumble. I'm going to build one that's going to last. That statue that he builds rescinds the very thing he said. He, it takes back what Nebuchadnezzar said about God. God is, your God is the God of gods, but I am not going to treat him as the God of gods. Uh, your God is the Lord of kings, but I'm not going to treat him as Lord over me. Now, we're prepared, if we stop at verses 46 and 47, for Nebuchadnezzar to live this out a little bit. You know, maybe last a little while in this devotion, or at least this admiration, this confession of who God is. We might be prepared for that, but he doesn't do it. But it doesn't change the truth of who God is. It doesn't change the fact that God is still God of gods and still Lord of kings. So, Nebuchadnezzar builds a statue. And that leads us to our second question this morning. Who is the God of Neb? Who is the God of Nebuchadnezzar? Well, the answer to this question explains why events happen as they do. The answer to this question lets us know why it goes the way it goes in chapter 3 and then chapter 4 and on and on. Over and over and over, this gets repeated. See, our answer to this question for ourselves who is the God of Michael? Who is the God of insert your name? Who is the God of First Baptist sulfur? Our answer to that question explains why events happen as they do, explains where we're going and what will be the result of our going. Who is the God of Nebuchadnezzar? Well, in, chapter, in verses 1 through 7, he builds this gold statue 90 feet high. He sets it up, and he tells everybody in charge in the area, you've got to bow down to this thing. When you hear the music, when you hear this cacophony, everybody bows down. Doesn't no matter what nation you're from, what language you speak, you're commanded to do it. And if you don't do it, you'll be thrown into a fiery furnace, a furnace of blazing fire. That's what's going to happen. Who is the God of Nebuchadnezzar? Well, first, his God is politics. That's his God, one of them. The most important thing to Nebuchadnezzar was the state, uh, the nation, the kingdom. That's why he says, Regardless of your language, he has conquered a whole bunch of nations and he's brought the, the best we see in chapter 1, the best of the royalty and the, uh, the noble houses to Babylon to train them. He wants to assimilate them. And just in case that doesn't work, now he's going to tell everybody, you got to bow down to a statue that might have been him, might have been a god, doesn't matter. He sees th- those things as one and the same. You got to bow down to this so that my kingdom stays together, my earthly kingdom, because he is the king of kings on earth. He has forgotten the Lord of kings that told him what was going to happen if he did this. Politics was his God, power was his God. He doesn't just want, I mean, he he wants the, the kingdom unified so that he can control them. If he controls them, well, they don't get out of hand. They don't start thinking their own way. They don't worry about freedom and that sort of thing. They, he wants power. He wants to consolidate that power, and consolidated power will actually give him the opportunity to gain more power. If I have a unified kingdom here, I can go take over that group, and this group, and we can bring them in. God, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's God was power. Nebuchadnezzar's God was economics. Because a controlled, devoted people is a prosperous people. And if they are focused on him, then they will give tribute to him. If they are doing his bidding, he can build nicer and better and, and, and take over more. And he will have an economic system that benefits him. And then finally, Nebuchadnezzar's God was himself. Ultimately, this was about him. This was about his politics, his power, his economics, him being the head of gold, and in his mind, everything else too. He was as the God of the Judah, uh, Judahites, the, the Judeans, the Israelites, the Hebrews, as the God of, as the, the interpreter said of their, he, the, I'm the King of Kings on earth. And so he builds a statue to show who his God is. Now he tells everybody to bow, and most of them do it. Now this is presented as a reflexing A reflexive bow. Their heart's not in this. They don't worship Nebuchadnezzar. Most of them don't worship the God of Nebuchadnezzar. But we're part of this kingdom, and he's probably doing some good things for them, so we're going to bow to him. And, you know, we don't get killed. Works out well for us. Win-win. Their heart's not in it. It's a reflexive bow, to the God that Nebuchadnezzar had created. So who, then, is the God that's truly worthy of worship? Here's where we meet the boys again. Some of the guys had took this opportunity to to call out uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah and, and point out that, you know what, king, may the king live forever. You've said to do this, and these guys over here, they're not doing it. They they, they don't do it the way you say to. They, They claim another god. Well, we know that what that really means is they don't like you. They don't serve your god's worship, the gold statue you've set up. You know this is all about you. Just feeding that ego. And then they get the response that we're going we're gonna to see in a minute that they wanted. The, the next question we have to ask is, who is the God that's worthy? Who is the God of Nebuchadnezzar himself? Who is the God that's worthy? Well, now we read in this passage, they're not going to bow down. Well, why not? There, there were rationalizations to bow, just like we can go back to chapter 1 and we can come up with some rationalizations for Daniel and the boys to eat the food. We can come to chapter 3 and go, well, yes, but in this situation. There are some some good ones. Uh, First of all, situational ethics. We we like those. We like situational ethics. Normally I wouldn't do this, but in this situation I need to or I have to or it's best that I do it, especially since I don't want to die. Now, it would be the situational ethic to say, we'll do this, but I'm only doing it because I'm forced to. On pain of death, and I don't like pain or death, the situational ethic says that if it suits the purpose right now, it's acceptable. I can do it. If it goes against everything I believe and have been taught and Scripture says, that's okay if it serves a purpose that I think is greater than everything I've been told, taught, and what Scripture says situational ethic they could have done it to not offend the culture we could rationalize it that way and say well i don't really believe this but i want to bow down they might say so that everybody around me doesn't get offended that i'm not bowing down and this will gain me access into their their culture so that i can tell them about the true god I'm just doing it so they'll like me. That's a rationalization, but it's not a great one. Because what you're telling them is you have no real conviction. You're telling them that if the situation calls for it, you'll do something different than you know is right. A third rationalization would be that God will understand and forgive because we have an understanding forgiving God, don't we? God forgives us of our sins all the time. So he would certainly forgive us of this one, they might say. So, it'll be okay this time. I'll just pray and ask for forgiveness, and everything will be all right. Or they might say, I'm going to do it, but I won't mean it. In my heart, I'm going to be bowing to God. But on the outside, I'm going to be bowing to this statue. That doesn't mean anything. We know idols don't mean anything. Isaiah said, you know, you, you, you go out and you, you chop wood and you, you bring the wood into the house and you set some of the wood to the side to, to build your fire so that you can cook your food and do all your stuff and your things. And, and you take some of that wood and, you know, you build a chair and a table. And then you take some of that wood and you carve a god out of it and you worship it. It's the same wood, dude. It doesn't mean anything. It's just a block of wood. This doesn't mean anything they could rationalize and say it's just a big old statue of gold. Who cares? They could have rationalized. But they knew the answer to the question who is the God that's worthy? And to bow down, to rationalize, to do anything here, said that that god, the statue, or the man, Nebuchadnezzar, or the gods of Babylon that it represented, to bow down would say that they are worthy. That Nebuchadnezzar's gods of politics, or power, or economics, they were worthy. And it turns out, these guys, even though they were employees of the government, they were political atheists. They had no allegiance to the politics. They had allegiance to God. The nation, the state in their, uh, where they lived was worthy of service, but it was not worthy of worship. And they said, we're not going to do it. Notice something else here. It took the Chaldeans, the, the other re- leaders in the, in the kingdom, in the, in the court to tell Nebuchadnezzar what was going on. These guys didn't make a spectacle of themselves. They didn't go out, and, 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 and the, 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 the narrative is kind of compressed, so we, we get this image, if we're not careful, that it all happened all at the same time, all on this plane, and maybe it did, but it may have been that it was just supposed to happen number of times wherever you were you hear it the, the boys didn't go out to this field or to the wall or whatever and stand in the middle of everybody that was standing and go watch this and when everybody bowed down they went we don't see that sort of imagery here the guys had to these Chaldeans had to come and tell Nebuchadnezzar you know these guys, there's some guys that aren't bowing. He didn't know it. He didn't see it. They didn't make a spectacle, of the, a spectacle of themselves. Y'all, if we stand for God and stand for what is right, we don't have to make a, a soapbox out of every time we do it. Sometimes we just do it. And trust me, the ones who want us to not be that way will see and or hear about it. But we don't have to make a spectacle of ourselves. Who is the God that's worthy? Well, it's not that one. It's not Nebuchadnezzar's. Verses 13 through 23. Then who is the God who can rescue? See, they've broken the law now. They've broken the rule. And Nebuchadnezzar set up. T- said, if you do that, you're going to die. And when they come to him and, and he brings them in, he's furious. Verse 13 tells us, Bring these guys in. They come in, and he said, Is this true that, that, that you won't serve my gods, worship the gold statue I set up? Now, I'm going to give you one more chance. Now I am watching. We're going to see if this really happens. Band, strike it up. Y'all bow, you live. You don't bow, you die. Let's go and before it even the music started playing before the opportunity came up they go ahead and tell him yeah we don't we don't need to give you an answer we don't need to tell you what we're going to do because we're just gonna we're gonna do it If, if the god we serves exists then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And if he can rescue us from the and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. Verse 18, but even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Verse 15, who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Who is the God? The basis for the the title of the message this week, for all the questions we're asking now. Who is the God, Nebuchadnezzar asks, who is the God more powerful than me? That's the question. Who is the God that can do something for you that I can't do to you, or so I can't do something to you? Well, it's the same God that he heard about in chapter 2 when Daniel said, You're just the top of the statue, you ain't the whole statue. And not only that, but the statue had to be made. It is the God of gods and the Lord of kings, Nebuchadnezzar's own words, that is over the statue. He knows the answer to the question. We got the answer to the question in chapter 2, verses 37 and 38. And yet he asks the question again because he is confident, certain, that he's the best in the land. Who is the God that can rescue? It's actually a legitimate question. He might not. Let's, let's give old Nebby here the, 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 the benefit of the doubt. He's not being sarcastic. It's not, a, it's not a poke. It's not a prod. Oh, who's the God that can rescue? It's like, seriously, I'm it. I'm top dog. I'm, I'm head and shoulders. I'm, I'm better than... Who's the God that's going to rescue you from fire? See, dream interpretations are one thing. That was a cool trick, Daniel. Impressive that your God showed you that. But I've got people that sometimes can do it. They didn't do it this time. But I've got guys that can do it too. And and so, you know, magic trick, whatever. Impressive. But fire is a different story. Who is the God that can save you from fire? Y'all, we followers of Jesus ask this question all the time. This is hard, Lord. The end is nigh, Lord. How are we getting out of this? How are you going to rescue? Who is the God that can rescue me? It's a question of, since we know the answer, we, we do, we know the answer as believers. but the question is more, where will we put our faith? And sometimes things get so bad that we decide to put our faith in ourselves. Nebuchadnezzar had put his faith in himself, not things because things were bad, but because things were good, and that is another temptation. Things are going so well, I must be doing something right. I remember years ago, and I can't remember who the guy was, but I believe he played for Alabama, of course, football. Um, he, 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 I want to say he was a cornerback, maybe. I don't remember. I, I know my family will remember this. But his response to a question from a reporter was, I'm so amazing, sometimes I even amaze myself. That was Nebuchadnezzar. He was so amazing, sometimes he even amazed himself. And so, he put his faith in himself. We're not so far off, followers of Jesus. We're we're not so far from that ourselves that, that we don't sometimes get so comfortable in our abilities to take Whatever comes, or to make the right decisions, or whatever we think it is, we can do. We not we're not so far from Nebuchadnezzar that we don't think I am such an amazing Christian. Sometimes I even amaze myself, and we put our faith in ourselves. And it's just as it's just as egregious as I'm so. In, in such trouble, God can't get me out. It, 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 that is just as egregious as saying, I am so good, I don't need God at all. <laughs> we're, 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 in both cases, we have misplaced faith. Who is the God that can rescue Well, the boys knew God would save them. They knew it. We don't have to answer you, even the, and the question is, that they're not answering is, who is the God that can rescue? They say, we don't have to answer you. We don't have to put it into words. Because if the God we serve exists, in Greek, often if means since. Since the God we serve exists. And I think there's probably a hint of that here as well in Hebrew, but it's not as strong. There is there's no admission here that God doesn't exist, doesn't exist, but there is a it's almost a taunt to Nebuchadnezzar. You're asking us who the God is. I tell you what. If the God we we serve, if if He exists, we we we're here, we didn't do what we were told. We knew we were going to die if, if the God we have learned about, if, if the God we were taught about at home before you got us at 13, 14, 15 years old, if the God we were raised with exists, did the things like create everything and uh, mess up the whole Tower of Babel, which by the way would have been in the same neighborhood, and and disperse everybody and and flood everything and, and 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 save two of every kind and call Abraham out and and make a great nation and then send the nation to Egypt and then bring them back through uh, the Red Sea and all the 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 the, uh, the 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 plagues and the the miracles and the the forty years and the promised land and the defeats and the the and, and the uh, the rescue from the powers around us, and then raising up kings and tearing down kings and raising up kings and tearing down kings and, and then bringing exile after he told us there would be exile, even naming some of them by name when Isaiah talked about it, and did all these things and brought us here and then did the whole food thing with Daniel and all of this other. And here we stand and you're asking us who the God is and we're going to tell you if he can do all that, he can do this. Not worried about it. The boys knew God would save them. Or he wouldn't. If that God exists, he absolutely can. And he might not. Even if he does not, verse 18. Even if he does not... Res- rescue us. We want you to know. This, this ain't for everybody else. Everybody watching, they're hoping to see this, 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 this death and, 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 and the bubbling and the skin and the, and the cracklings and you know, all that. No. All these people, we're not concerned about them. We want you to know, king. King of kings. We want you to know. That we ain't bowing. We may fry, we ain't bowing. Whether God rescued or not had no effect on their obedience. Whew. There's a lot of sermon right there. Whether he rescued or not had no effect. On their obedience whether God gets me through the trial or it kills me has no effect on my obedience whether my plan for how this could work out works out or not it'll have no effect on my obedience whether they can cure this disease or not will have no effect on my obedience Whether this relationship can be restored or not has no effect on my obedience. How I am treated in this situation has no effect on my obedience. The truth is, and we all know it, obedience is easy when we are assured to get the outcome we want. That's easy. If you're obedient, you win. Yes. I saw, I think I just saw it like last night, so I'm not going to remember who said it. I'm not even going to get it right, uh, but I'll get it close. Uh, I want to say it was a football coach, but I'm not sure. He said... Sometimes you do everything right, and you still lose. And that's the truth. Sometimes you do everything right, and you still, air quotes, lose. Sometimes you are obedient in every possible way and the outcome as far as the world is concerned and even you are concerned and the outcome is still loss and yet you won because you are obedient obedience is hard when we're not guaranteed the outcome we want who is the God then in the fire? Who is the God that is, who can rescue? Well, great, great question, Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> you want your answer? Who's the God in the fire? Look, verse 24 and 25. Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, Didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. He exclaimed, Look, I see four men, not tied, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Who is the god in the fire? Let's not miss this. According to the story, and I believe it's important, an important omission. They didn't look in that furnace as the big, strong, burly guys that tied them up. Because it says some of the strongest men tied them up. You're not getting away. And they, he says, heat the furnace hotter than it's ever been. And they do. Now march them to the furnace. And it was probably kind of a big beehive-shaped thing. Obviously big enough for three or four people to walk around in. It would have been huge. With a hole in the top and a door in the side to be able to see. It was hot enough that these three big, burly men, as they take these three, probably not as burly men, and get ready to toss them in, it kills the ones that are with them. And when they get there, and and they're being ready to be pushed in, and that's the interesting part, who knows, did they get three more guys, or did they jump? You ever thought about that? Because, it, does it say, am I missing something? It just as they fell, bound into the furnace. Hmm. So, we don't have any indication from the story that they saw the fourth guy in the furnace before they jumped, before they fell into the furnace. D- don't, don't miss that. There was no fourth man until they were already in the fire. Just like in chapter 1, determining determining to be faithful is an early-before-you-have-to-do-it decision. Determining to have faith is an early-before-you-have-to-do-it decision. They had already decided that they were going to have faith. They decided, looking at the furnace, looking at the flames, looking at the heat, feeling the cords, watching the three guys die because it's so hot, they had already decided, we're going to have faith. It was a decision before it happened. Let's understand something about God right here. He could have kept the boys out of the fire. He could have kept them out. He could have sent a rainstorm, middle of the desert, for no reason. Vroom, typhoon, wets it down. Nebuchadnezzar had been, thats kind of impressive. I mean, that, that would have been cool and all, but he did not stop the fire. He did not keep the boys out of the fire. Instead, he sent Jesus into it. Y'all didn't hear me because you'd have hooped and hollered. I know because I've I, I just I just know. I know that this ain't a hoopin' and holler in church. But I'm thinking you might have been asleep because he could have taken it. Could have taken them out of Babylon. Philip disappeared after he witnessed to the Ethiopian. He just wasn't there anymore. Jesus, after breaking bread with the two guys on the road to Emmaus, they realize who he is. Poof, he's gone. He's gone somewhere else. God can boom, 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 take people out of whatever they he wants to. He can send floods. He can send rain where there shouldn't be rain. He can do all sorts of things. So taking these three boys out of the fire would not have been an issue, and yet, boots them on in. He sends Jesus in after him. See, God could have taken you out of this world. You could have not been born at all. He could have taken you out at birth. Instead, He sent Jesus into the world. God could take away all of your problems, and instead, He sends you through them with Jesus. God could. Never require you to make the hard decision. Instead, Jesus leads you along the path God has for you. He could have taken them away from the fire. And instead, Jesus joined them in the fire. Brothers and sisters, we have to have faith to go into the fire. Sometimes it means jumping sometimes it means falling but we have to have the faith to go into the fire and then we can ask the question who is the god that is sovereign daniel is all about sovereignty remember this story is only slightly about the boys they pop up and and pop in without popping <laughs> um But it's only slightly about them. The the, the story is somewhat about Nebuchadnezzar and his change, because he does change a little, not enough, a little. But this story is totally about the sovereignty of God. Who is the God that is sovereign? Who is the God that is in charge? Who is the God that makes the choices? Who is the God who chooses the result of our obedience and faith? The God we serve, if he exists can save us. If he doesn't, we're still going to worship him. Hebrews eleven thirty-two 32 through 40, which was part of our reading this week, talks about all these great people of faith. And it says some of them did these wonderful, miraculous things, and some of them got, got deaded, got killed, got sawn in two. The disciples, some of them got skinned alive for their faith. And we can go out through history and see the ones who were martyred. In Hebrews, though, we see some that were saved, temporarily and temporarily, from bad things, and then some who weren't. But all of them were commended for their faith. All of them knew the God that was sovereign. All of them could answer the question, Who is the God? Because they knew who the God was that they served. And all of that, the writer of Hebrews says, without seeing the promise of Jesus. Don't miss that. They they, they knew the promise was there. They knew the Messiah was coming. But they never got to see it. And yet, they were faithful even to death. So, Christian, why aren't you? You who have seen Jesus. Why aren't you faithful? Why does the fire scare you? we got to ask the question, who is the God who saves? The God who is sovereign, yeah. The God who rescues, yes. But who is the God who saves? When we don't know if we'll be saved at the end and we're not sure of the result. When we don't know if the fire is going to burn us up or not. When we don't know the ending and we're not sure of the result. When, when we're out of place and must remain faithful like Daniel and the boys were in chapter one and still are in chapter three when our faithfulness is challenged and all we have is our faith listen to the difference when our faithfulness will you be faithful to God is challenged as a matter of fact you cannot be faithful to God that's the challenge and all we have is our faith that says I don't know what's gonna happen if I don't be faithful but I'm gonna be faithful I don't know what's going to happen if I do be faithful, but I'm going to be faithful. Who is the God who saves when God doesn't save through the fire or the trial or the loss or the illness or the tragedy or the layoff? Who is the God who saves? The world's going to ask us the question, They're going to look at us and wonder, just like Nebuchadnezzar, who's the God that can save you from this? And followers of Jesus, we look to the cross and we say, I'm saved. Not because I get out of the trial. Not because I don't burn up in the fire. I'm saved before the fire. I'm saved before the trial. I'm saved before the tragedy. I'm saved before I have to make a choice about faithfulness in my faith. I'm saved. Because I know that Jesus is the God who saves. That's where my faith has found its resting place. That Jesus died and He died for me. I'm saved. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be able to face a fire and trust that whether I'm saved from the fire or not, I'm saved? What is salvation? Well, the Bible maps that out for us in Romans 6 23. What is salvation? Well, what are we saved from? We're saved from. Ourselves, we really, we're saved from our sinfulness. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. Other places in Romans says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned, and the wages of those sin, sins is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. The salvation that we can have from our sins, from death, is a gift that God gives us in Christ Jesus our Lord we look to the cross and we say i am saved this morning if you've never trusted jesus christ as your savior will you look to the cross and say i want to be saved admit you're a sinner believe that jesus can save you and confess choose to follow him give him your life he he wants everything and, and, and you, you won't make it if you don't give him everything. You won't make it if you're not willing to <laughs> fall or jump or even be pushed into the fire and trust that the fourth man will be there when you get there. Let's pray. Father, thank you that there was another in the fire And God, I'm even going to thank you that sometimes, and maybe even all the time, we don't see the fourth person in the fire before we jump, before we get pushed, before we fall into it. But by faith we know the fourth man is there. By faith we know there is nothing, whether we come out of a trial, a, a situation, and it happens the way we wanted it to, Or we come out and all of our plans have, (laughs) well, we didn't make it. God, we look to the cross and we say, I'm saved. Before we ever go through the fire, I'm saved. Before we ever have a trial, I'm saved. And God, I pray for those this morning who, who don't have the confidence, don't have the hope. They look at trials and tragedies and all of these things. They look at the fire and, and they just see fire. They just see death. They just see pain. They don't see even the possibility of a fourth man because they've never trusted the man. They've never been saved by the man. They've never placed their faith in that man named Jesus, that God-man, that incredible Two in one, God and man. This morning, may followers of Jesus trust the fourth man. Whether he shows up in the fire or not, may we trust the fourth man. This morning, may those who have never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, accepted salvation through him, may they... May they trust the fourth man this morning. Give their hearts to Jesus. Repent of their sins, believe on him, and choose to follow him. And then when the fire comes, and it surely will, they will be ready to be rescued by the fourth man. That's our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what's your next step this morning? We all have one. We all have a next step to take at this point. Followers of Jesus, what is your next step? Is is your next step into the fire? (laughs) The fourth man's there. You you may not be able to see him. He's there. Unbeliever, non-believer, you haven't followed Jesus. You've never trusted him as Savior. Come to Jesus this morning, the fourth man. We all have a next step. To join our church, we had our discovery class this morning. We had three folks in there. Uh, Kayla Moore came, and I I told you a few weeks ago, she wants to follow in obedience and baptism. And then Donnie and Melissa Oliva came this morning. They want to come by uh, letter and join our church both of them, so we're excited to have them, want you to meet them this morning and and, and greet them and and welcome them into our family of faith. How about you? What is your decision? What is your next step? Tom will be over here if you'd like to pray with him. Uh, Lee and Kirk will be in the back, a couple of our deacons, they would love to pray with you. Whatever your decision is this morning, let's take the step. Is it into the fire? Is it to the fourth man? Whatever it is, let's take a couple of minutes now. We're going to sing, we're going to do some business with him, and we're going to see God work on our hearts as we take the next step to follow him. Let's stand and sing.